What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off the Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Camilla Russo is a former Bloomberg journalist and currently writing a book on Ethereum with HarperCollins. In this conversation, we discuss how she discovered Bitcoin while covering the Argentine financial markets, why crypto has captured her interest, how traditional journalists view Bitcoin and crypto today, why she is writing the book on Ethereum, and what stories she has learned along the way. I really enjoyed this conversation and found Camilla to be incredibly engaging. I hope you enjoy it as well. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I am here with Camilla. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. No, thank you. I, I feel like you are one of the foremost experts on Ethereum now that uh, you've done all this work to uh, to write a book. Uh, before we get into all that, though, maybe let's just talk about your background and uh, kind of how you got to uh, to writing the uh, the word of record on Ethereum. Mm-hmm, sure. Where uh, where were you born, and kind of how did you end up at uh, at Bloomberg first? Okay, so I'm Chilean. I was born in Santiago. Um, uh, I spent most of my childhood in Chile, but um, I also lived in Miami for a couple of years when I was growing up, then went back to the States um, to do a master's in, in journalism at Chicago in Northwestern. And from there is when I got interested in business journalism, um, went to the uh, internship at Bloomberg in New York, um, got hired. From there, they sent me to Argentina. I spent uh, four and a half years living in Buenos Aires. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, yeah, it was like one of the best times of my life. Oh, you liked it? I loved it. Okay. Such a fun city. Um, And it was also amazing professionally. I, you know, I was covering Argentine markets, mostly bonds and effects. Um, And it was during, you know, a time when... Argentina was going through, um, you know, really high inflation, currency controls, a default, uh, you know. Bad um, shit. Yeah. Just really Na- bad shit. Like company nationalizations. This was in Cristina Fernandez's second term. Um, and that's when I wrote about Bitcoin for the first time, mm-hmm. 2013. Um, I saw how people were using it to protect against inflation. Mm-hmm. And they were using it to skirt currency controls. I thought that was super interesting. And and how do you yeah. so like you're the first person at Bloomberg to ever write about Bitcoin, uh, um, right? Yeah, I mean, f- at least in you know in like Latin America, and yep. I th- I think th- there had been like you're, Bitcoin you were, stories, but you were, like very early. I right? was very early. Like I, I I remember pitching the story. My editors had never heard about Bitcoin before. Yep. Like I had Crazy. really yeah I had to really pitch really hard on the story. Yep. Uh, convince convinced them it was a real thing uh to them it was just like me talking crazy like what's this internet money thing you were doing that in 2013 we're still doing that in 2019 trying to convince right. people it's real right <laughs> um all right and so like how did you hear about bitcoin is like a source tell you about it do you go and interview somebody and they're like oh by the way like we're doing this thing like how did you first come across no it, it was actually um an argentine uh colleague who had left 
I think he read he read it somewhere, you know, or or, or like heard about a meetup because he he's Argentine, so he yeah. like heard about a meetup um, that was happening in Buenos Aires, like people who like were there to learn about Bitcoin. So he's like, oh look look at this, like maybe you should go to this meetup thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I did. I went, and there was like there was a lot of activity uh, around Bitcoin back then in Argentina, and and even even more so now. I think yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, you write the article, and like, what was the reaction when you first wrote about Bitcoin? Was it did people write in and they're like, you know? shut up, this is stupid, like, stop writing about it, are they intrigued, does nobody notice, like, what, like, what was that reaction? No, I remember I got a really, you know, good reception, like, good readership, um, I think back then, 2013, um, yeah, Bitcoin had just gone through, through a bubble, um, but it wasn't as crazy as 2017, mm-hmm. and it was just for Bloomberg readers, it was more of, like, a curiosity, mm-hmm. I think I got, like, much like bigger um, like reactions when when I was writing about it in 2017. Mm-hmm. You know, Bloomberg readers being like, "Why are you writing about this like Beanie Baby money?" You know, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people got really mad at me. They, uh-huh. I, um, I, I said this at the time, but I I never had such visceral reactions to to stories. But because it, it wasn't just like people disagreeing on what what I was writing about, it it, it felt like they were personally threatened by it you know mm-hmm. um because the reaction was very emotional it wasn't it wasn't so like rational like mm-hmm. they weren't looking at it from an investment perspective mm-hmm. it was like you're writing about something that's like threatening me absolutely yeah. and so i guess as you're writing about this um argentine uh, was going through huge problems right i mean yeah. across the board mm-hmm. uh still today facing a lot of challenges um did you get the sense that people thought this was going to be as big as it is today like it was going to become this huge thing or was it more just oh there's this interesting you know digital currency that we can use to solve our problems today but maybe it's a thing maybe it's not but mm-hmm. you know but there wasn't really like the belief it was going to become massive i think for for people in in places like argentina where y- you know, there's just like this ingrained mistrust in the financial system, and you like you really get that what what happens when you don't trust your your own currency. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens when you know that the only way your currency is going is down, and mm-hmm. that uh, your government can one day just stop you from from doing whatever you want with with your money. Like, and it happened to me because I was I was earning my salary was in Argentine pesos. And the first thing my colleagues told me when I got to Argentina was you have to buy dollars as soon as you get your your pesos. Mm -hmm. So I was doing that until one day Cristina Fernandez said there are no more dollar purchases allowed Mm -hmm. and literally went to the bank website um, to like my account and the option to like buy dollars in like to, to change dollars to my dollar account wasn't there anymore. It was wow. just that simple. Wow. So like I saw it and so people... Because, had, because you had an Argentinian bank, bank account. account, right? Because yeah. you're getting paid. I was getting locally. paid in Argentina and like Argentine pesos. Wow. So like as soon as I got... Oh, because you needed it while you were living there, right? Yeah. That's the... Okay, got it. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, so I mean people people in Argentina or places like it, when they hear about Bitcoin, they 
instantly get it. Like it's not it's not like here where you really need to convince people, you know, this is actually a positive thing to have, like a, this parallel financial system where you don't need to ask permission. In Argentina, they, they get it. So I think that... They get excited. <laughs> yeah, they get excited. And, and I think, like, your, your question was that, were people thinking it was going to be a big deal? And I think, yes, people using it in Argentina back then, because they got it, they knew it was going to be big. Mm-hmm. And... What's your take on, I, I, I don't know off the top of my head what the inflation has looked like, but there's been pretty volatile swings in the currency, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think larger volatile swings than Bitcoin. So even though Bitcoin is volatile, having Argentinian pesos mm-hmm. actually uh, at times has been much more volatile than Bitcoin, right? Yeah. So, so it's, it's almost like in the U.S. compared to the U.S. dollar, you know, people are freaking out when mm-hmm. it drops. 10%, let alone you know, 50, 80%. Mm-hmm. In other countries, that actually is a small drop compared to the inflation that they, just, uh, that they see um, that drives their purchasing power. Right. I mean, in, in Argentina, I think right now inflation is at 50% <laughs> annual, so it's crazy. Annualized um, the inflation at 50%. Yeah, 50%. Um, when I was there, it was 25. Um, the peso, I think the last time I, I haven't I haven't checked in a while, but I remember doing a, a chart at Bloomberg once. Um, and I think, yes, the volatility was comparable to, to Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really depends on the timeline you look at, because I think in, in 2018, you would have been better off holding Argentine pesos than holding Bitcoin. Yep. But for example, I don't know, I've interviewed uh, people for, for my book who bought... Um, Bitcoin in 2013 and they said, you know, whatever happens to, to this like weird uh, money um, to, to Bitcoin, I know it's going to do better than, than the peso. And it has, I know obviously. the peso is going to either do 25 yeah. or more inflation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, even just the, we're recording this right now in, uh, in um, May of 2019 mm-hmm. and Bitcoin's up over 100% on yeah. the year. Right, so you can imagine that compared to a fifty percent inflation mm-hmm. um, is a pretty drastic change, right? Yeah. So, all right. So you're in you're uh, writing in uh, Argentine, right. uh, Argentina, and then you end up leaving. And yes. what do you do next? Um, so I asked to get transferred to Madrid. Okay. Um, I just ne- needed a change. It was just you know getting to be the same story over and over again in Argentina. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just the headline wanted... is just <laughs> shit's bad. Yes. Stay away. <laughs> exactly. <All right. laughs> um, yeah, I just wanted to try other things too. Um, so I was living in Madrid. Uh, life there was was amazing. Really loved Europe, but um, it wasn't as exciting a news story. I was writing about European stocks. Um, so after Argentina, that seemed pretty boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so. Uh, you know, as I was like thinking about leaving, uh, there was a kind of restructuring of the market team at Bloomberg, where they created this new team um, that was leading a, a live markets blog in mm-hmm. New York, and so I was invited to join this this new team, and so moved here in Mar- uh, March of 2017. Okay, so so you moved here in March of 2017, and really you're focused on. Uh, kind of global markets. Yeah, macro right? markets. Okay, so, so yeah. macro markets. And that just happens to be right when the fun starts in crypto. Exactly. With, uh, with, with kind of the bull run, mm-hmm. or really, it's really the tail end of the bull run, right? Because it had started before that, but but I think when a lot of retail kind of rushed in and we saw the, the significant price appreciation was kind of May of 2017 through mm-hmm. the end of the year. Exactly, right? yeah. Um, and so, 
like what was going on inside Bloomberg when, you know, every day it seemed like there's just these assets that are, you know, going up and to the right nonstop for months at a time. And then also, you know, there's announcement after announcement after announcement of people raising, you know, tens, hundreds of yeah. millions of dollars for these ICOs. Like what's happening in the meetings at Bloomberg? Are people mm-hmm. like, this is all a joke? Or <laughs> like, what do they say? Um, okay, so I think like, at, at the blog, I started writing uh, because it, it was it was good to have. I, I had flexibility to write about whatever I thought was interesting, you know, going on in the market um, at the moment. So I I had kept my interest in Bitcoin since Argentina, and so I started writing. at At that time, um, there was a lot of talk about the big Bitcoin ETF mm-hmm. with the uh, Winklevoss uh, brothers. So I started writing about that. You know, that was like more tied to the Bloomberg audience and ETF. So I started with that, but then I also started writing about ICOs, mm-hmm. and there was just more and more interest from from the Bloomberg audience to know about uh, crypto and you know any. Um, story with Bitcoin on the headline would get tons of hits. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I think in the end, you know, editors will will look at that and mm-hmm. and and increase coverage when when there's more interest. Well, and, and interest comes from not only the people who like it, but also the people who hate it. Yes, right. For like sure. that's how you get all the the kind of hate mail. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So my my editor saw this and said, you know what? Like we we need more coverage for regular Bloomberg news, not just the blog. So I started, uh, you know, just covering crypto as like my my side job, which mm-hmm. you know quickly took over my my main job, um, and so the. The, the sentiment that Bloomberg was like, yeah, like we need to cover it. There's there's tons of interest, but they were still like very careful with um, how how deeply they wanted to dive in, in mm-hmm. crypto because, you know, it was it's still and it still is um, a very volatile asset. We're not sure like where regulation is going. And and Bloomberg's bread and butter is, is Wall Street. It's you know like big markets, regulated securities. Um, so yeah, and I think that that was kind of the, the balancing act that that I saw Bloomberg at, at the time. Like okay, there's huge interest. It's driving headlines, but you know like how seriously are we going to take this uh, market? Absolutely. And so I guess as part of this is the interest at the time so 2017 that the icos really were hot topic number one bitcoin hot topic number two and then i don't really remember there being interest in kind of the details right Mm -hmm. it it was like it just felt like oh this ico fundraising mechanism is really interesting Mm -hmm. and then the bitcoin price is just going through the roof right was there interest from like the classic wall street folks was it crypto people migrating over to Bloomberg? Like, did you get a sense of like who in the audience was interested? Or was it just, hey, we just know that the numbers keep, you know, every time we publish Bitcoin articles, they just, you know, get distribution. We don't really know who's on the other end. No, I think it was pretty clear it was existing Bloomberg subscribers. So mm-hmm. it was a, a Wall Street audience that was interested. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they there was a, a, a lot of demand for more data in, in the terminal for, mm-hmm. for crypto. I mean, uh, Bloomberg had a Bitcoin index and an Ether index, and th- there were always like requests to have more more coins in the system and more mm-hmm. data about the coins that was that were there. Uh, so definitely, it was interest from from like Bloomberg subscribers, not like new 
uh, crypto enthusiasts were you mm-hmm. know buying the terminal absolutely and so uh you continue covering through december 2017 mm-hmm. um when i i mean i've just never seen anything in my life yeah. like yeah it was so uh, <laughs> just the the absolute euphoria and mania that was going on um and you decide maybe you should go and write a book yes yeah (laughs) talk about kind of what your thought process there was Mm -hmm. and and why pick what you picked etc yeah so you're exactly right at the end of 2017 it was looking back and being like what just happened you know like i had been like deep in this market or, or new asset class or whatever and it was just like a whirlwind of information and like hype and excitement. And then at the end of the year, I, I, I said, this has to be documented. That Like what just happened is crazy and it's so interesting and exciting. And I had always wanted to, to write a book, mm-hmm. but never, you know, found kind of the right topic or that I was um, it, like... I was the expert in, in, in something to, to the degree that I needed to be to write up. But, but in, in crypto, it just felt like everyone was new um, and that, you know, anyone could, could own it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so... That's, I'm laughing to myself because, uh, one, that's not true in traditional markets, mm-hmm. right, a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, but also outside the United States where uh, there's a ton of interest. It's not just regulatory barriers, right? It's also just the fact that there's a lot of people internationally that are unbanked, right? Mm-hmm. Or they don't have access to yeah. the traditional kind of Western financial system. And so it, it, it's um, it's not just, hey, go write a book and there's going to be people in the United States that read it, right? It's likely to be that there's a, a very global audience. Yeah, here. for sure. Yeah. Um, so, right. So I thought, okay, there's a book here. Um, so what's the best story to tell? And the Bitcoin story, I think, has has pretty much been been told. I mean, there's uh, Digital Gold. I think is a great book. Mm-hmm. It tells kind it's of the, good, the backstory yeah. of Bitcoin. And, and that's uh, Nathaniel Popper wrote that. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's no Digital Gold for Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Nobody has really told the the backstory of Ethereum, like mm-hmm. how it was created, the people behind it. Yep. And, and so, for those yeah. that don't know, uh, Digital Gold is a, a book about the early days of Bitcoin. Um, a lot of the players, uh, kind of their stories, etc. But it's all focused on Bitcoin, and, mm-hmm. and obviously based on the name, uh, this idea of it being digital gold. And so, no one had written that kind of early day story about Ethereum. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's such an interesting story. I thought it, it really was an important story to tell because looking at what happened in 2017, a lot of it was because of ICOs and ICOs really disrupted finance. Like they, they mm-hmm. changed the way startups raise money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I thought whatever happens, Ethereum already changed tech mm-hmm. it already changed finance like it mm-hmm. already made an impact in, in blockchain it brought blockchain forward mm-hmm. so um you know i don't know start like from the start of this process i i knew that it, it wasn't a sure thing that ethereum w- will still be here in 10 to 20 years whatever maybe it will be another blockchain that is like the winner in smart contracts mm-hmm. um but ethereum is the one that really started it mm-hmm. so it's worth and, telling and I, it 
you know, there's been a number of people who have obviously come on the podcast and talked about um, things like, you know, ERC-20, that protocol shook the world, mm-hmm. right? And especially the finance world. Um, things like uh, Ether became the reserve currency of fundraising mm-hmm. globally, right? Yeah. You know, people weren't uh, just using Bitcoin. They were using Ether to, to do this stuff. Uh, and then obviously the, uh, the the network itself or the platform of Ethereum um, really did become the foundation for a new uh, financial system to some degree, yeah. right? Yeah. And so uh, as you look at this, the book, though, is not just the story of Ethereum, right? It's also kind of there's things that predate the beginning of Ethereum, like Vitalik's life and, and things like that. Maybe mm-hmm. just talk about kind of how you think um, from a structural standpoint, you know, why go to talk about things pre, you know, the first time that somebody heard about Ethereum? Yeah. I mean, because Ethereum didn't like just come out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vitalik did a lot of work in the Bitcoin space before mm-hmm. before Ethereum. I, I don't know that a lot of people realize that Vitalik was a Bitcoiner mm-hmm. before thinking about like writing the Ethereum white paper. So it's important to know where all these ideas came from. And the idea of like um, a, a blockchain that did more than um, just peer-to-peer cash like Bitcoin was was in, in the space before Ethereum, mm-hmm. but Vitalik really took it to like the extreme and and just made it made. He he was the first one to think about making a protocol that's completely featureless. Mm-hmm. Um, I think other I mean other projects like. Um, Mastercoin and NXT. There were other other blockchains that wanted to increase the like capabilities that Bitcoin had, but they they weren't doing it in the same way that Ethereum did. It, that it, it just wanted to become like the the building blocks of like whatever people wanted to. It's like the true platform strategy, right? It's just yeah. like we're going to serve as a platform. We're not going to compete with anything that's built on top of it, and just people can use it however they see fit. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I think it was important to, to give background on how, how Vitalik came up with, with that idea. And, and, and then it just wasn't his, his, I mean, he wasn't the only one thinking about it at the time. Mm-hmm. And then what about, um, you know, in the book as you're writing this and, and, uh, you're almost done, I think, right? Yes. It is uh, kind of where you're on the process. Um, talk to us about. Is there a lot of things that maybe you went in assuming were true and, and turned out not to be, or, or even maybe there's like a story that um, you know you're like, wow, this really surprised me as in part of the story. Um, I mean, things that don't I, give us to don't give us the secrets of the book. No, no, Just, I won't, I won't. <laughs> but okay, things I find really interesting about Ethereum um, that I didn't know before. Uh, one is that. You know, seeing all the difficult decisions that um, Vitalik had to make in the in the, uh, the history of, of the project, he started really young. He was 19 when he wrote the white paper, but he had to make really difficult um, decisions that put him uh, in, in the position of having to decide between the project or like a friend, or mm-hmm. like a, a longtime colleague, and every time he chose Ethereum. So I think it, it, it's just really interesting to to see, you know, that he's had this vision 
for for the platform and that's like the most important thing um always like no 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 matter what he's always gonna choose ethereum um something else is that you know like a lot of the problems that ethereum is having now they've been thinking about it for like since before the launch Mm -hmm. um like proof of stake uh scaling like Mm -hmm. all of those problems they, they knew were coming like um, they knew that they that they would want to change to to from proof of work to another consensus mechanism. They knew that scaling would be a problem. Like it wasn't like oh like crypto it's almost Kitties. like they knew what they were doing. Yeah, it was like <laughs> it wasn't like crypto kitties happened and suddenly they were like oh we need to scale. No, like they knew this was this was a problem mm-hmm. from before. Um, so yeah, it was just interesting to like go back to old blog posts like of the Ethereum Foundation of, or like things like Vitalik wrote. I'm like, oh, like this could be written like maybe now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it just like tells you that they've been like thinking about these problems and like working on on these problems for, for a long time. And mm-hmm. I think it's like taking a long time because they don't want to do like a patch mm-hmm. solution. Mm-hmm. Um, they really want to solve this, this trilemma of um, what is it like throughput, security, and decentralization and they don't want to compromise on like any of, of the three uh, pieces which is like what a lot of smart contract platforms are doing they they're compromising on one of the three but ethereum doesn't want to and so yeah so they've been thinking about this from like the very early early days when you get done with the book i need to go introduce you to every fund manager and you need to give them a lesson on Ethereum because <laughs> you got it down <laughs> um all right so let's switch gears for a second and um i want to talk about like what it means to write a book, mm-hmm. right? So uh, you have an idea. I think that there's a book. It sounds like Ethereum is probably going to be a good idea to write the book about. What are the steps that you go through to actually um, write the book, right? Like uh, I think you've got to get a book deal, mm-hmm. then you got to actually put the work in to write the book. Like just walk us through the steps that you've had to go through to get to where you are. Okay. Um, so so this is my first book. I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still kind of don't, but... <laughs> You're, you're one book ahead of pretty much every person listening to this. So you're good to go. <laughs> okay, so first thing I did is I reached out to um, uh, an author, the author of a, a, a book that I was reading at the time, um, who was who's also a journalist, and it was his first book, so I thought, okay, maybe he can give me some tips. And he introduced me to his agent. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, I emailed the, the agent, um, t- told him, hey, I have an idea for a crypto book. I met with the agent and he, he told me I have to write a book proposal. Um, so what that is, is basically a business plan for the book where I have to, I had to write, um, okay, what the book is, why now, why I should be the one to write it, um, the outline uh, with like summaries for each chapter, it's like a 20 page uh, document. Um, and once I had that, then the agent went and sent it to to many different publishers mm-hmm. in like a couple of weeks i got a an answer from harper collins and they you know made uh, an, an offer to to buy their rights to the book and i accepted the offer right away um so <laughs> <laughs> yeah in, in in usually it happens that there there's like more negotiation mm-hmm. and like a bidding war almost yeah they really, i don't really like it yeah, yeah. um for me HarperCollins really was really interested and they wanted to kind of take it 
out of the table mm-hmm. um and they made a really good offer so my agent advised that i should just t- take that so got yeah. it well, so first of all, congrats, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? It's a lot of work. So you get the book deal with HarperCollins. Um, they basically, uh, my understanding, we were talking before, is they give you a book advance, mm-hmm. right? And then um, essentially uh, when the book goes on sale, they you know recoup their capital and then there's a split of the book. What do you have to do between the book going live and signing the book deal? Right. So when, once you sign the book deal you got to write the book. Right. Like, what's that process like? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so before, even before the book deal, I, I had been reporting for the book. So, okay. So first thing, I I kind of had, like, a basic structure of what I wanted the book to be. I had a list of, like, the key people I wanted to interview. So start reaching out to everyone I want to interview, um, planning my trips. Like, I, I knew uh, I wanted to do in-person interviews for, like, key people. Uh, so, so just do, doing a lot of planning with interviews, reaching out, like, I think that the first, uh, few, few weeks was a lot about just like scheduling as many interviews as I could. Um, once I had like kind of the, the, the first, I don't know, like 10 or I don't know how many, but like the first like key interviews, then I, I started just like very slowly writing like the first pieces, um, I tried to write, like, after I did uh, each interview, I tried to write, like, whatever um, interesting pieces came out of that. And mm-hmm. just to feel like I, I was, I had something on paper, like... You make progress. <laughs> yeah, like, I didn't want to just, like, be interviewing. Um, but I think it was, like, after, like, six months of, of research and reporting that I actually started to write, like, the real book. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, and so when you start writing the book, uh, I've always wondered, like, do you start on, like, okay, this is page one, and then you go from page one to, like, page 200, and you just write sequentially? Or do you say, okay, today I'm going to work on chapter three, let me write chapter three, now, you know, the next time I'm going to work on chapter two, then I'll just skip to chapter 12. Mm-hmm. Like, do you skip around, or do you just write it from first page all the way to the back? So... Uh, in, in the beginning, so, so while I was doing these interviews, I was like writing down pieces, right? Mm-hmm. So at the start, I had just like chunks of like different sections of the book. Mm-hmm. And, and then it just came, came to a point where I had like all these chunks and I had like most of my key interviews. And that's when I just started writing from like... Like page the, one, yep. from page one, yeah. Got it. But I did. I I I actually started from like chapter three. Like I wasn't clear exactly what like my first like two chapters were, so I wrote like first ten chapters, and then I went back and wrote like the first two. Got it. So yeah. you know, like added more to the beginning. Yeah. Um, how long will the book be? Um, I th- like probably ninety thousand words, which is like. I like between 300 and 400 pages I think yeah around. That's, that's a lot yes <laughs> okay and then um how many people do you think you'll have interviewed by what it's all said and done like 10 100 a thousand like what, just ballpark uh well I have around 100 interviews right now already yeah uh, so you'll be probably over 100 by the time that, yeah. that you're done wow it's a lot of work um okay and then I guess uh what is your like you know let's fast forward 10 years from now mm-hmm. and when people look back at the book like and I was asked them like what did you think about this book like what's the one thing you want them to say um, I want them to 
to say that that's when they understood why blockchain technology matters mm -hmm. um, and you know why it can be why it can really shape um, just the way things work mm -hmm. beyond money um, because I think that's what Bitcoin has down I mean that's what it's good at but I think ethereum really opens up um, kind of the vision of what blockchain can do mm -hmm. and so um, if you can do that I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say that you wrote a New York Times bestseller <laughs> uh, do you have aspirations to follow some of these other books that um, you know they basically take the book and they take the IP and then they turn it into a movie as well is it something that you would pursue or is it just write the book and move on and, and uh, never want to hear about Ethereum no, again. No, no, no. I mean, um, I definitely think it will make a great movie. Like, mm -hmm. this is beyond just like, okay, this is interesting technology. I think it's a really interesting story. Like, it's a fun story to read. It has tons of drama, has interesting characters. Like, it really has all the the ingredients of a good movie. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'll definitely try to try, try to, to get a movie. movie out of this. Yeah, that, that would be pretty cool if yeah. uh, the first movie was uh, was about Ethereum. Mm -hmm. um, any any characters that you think could actually play themselves in the movie? Like anyone in the story? Like, do you think Vitalik could play Vitalik in the movie? No, 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 no. <laughs> I think he would he would have no interest, you know. Yeah, like, yeah I was gonna say he's too smart. He's just like I'm not dealing with it. <laughs> he just wants to I'm be trying coding, to go build Ethereum like, <laughs> all the time. Um, I don't know. There's just like like there's just really charismatic people in Ethereum. Like like the first guy that comes to mind is Griff Green. Mm -hmm. I think like he's just like a natural like outgoing person that would mm -hmm. like play himself. Um, but yeah, I, it, it'll be hard to find like the right person to play Vitalik. I don't know. All right, well, you th you think about who that's gonna be. So if you go pitch it as a movie, they're probably gonna want to know. Um, okay, very cool. And so um, before we get into the rapid fire questions to end it, let, let's just talk for a second about um, you know I think a lot of people in the cryptocurrency industry, they're just like down this deep, deep rabbit hole, mm -hmm. right? They consume all of their content about crypto on Twitter and Telegram and Reddit and crypto news sites and just, they're so lost that they don't even know which way's up anymore, mm -hmm. right? Because they're that far down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And I'm like victim number one at times, <laughs> right? So, so it's not, it's not a, a, a bad thing, it's just that's just what happens in this industry. But there's so much other stuff that happens in finance, right? And like from your perspective as a journalist, take like outside of the crypto industry, is this stuff important to anybody? Or do they just literally say like, oh, you know, you crypto kids, like mm -hmm. that's cute. Go sit in the corner and like don't be too loud, yeah. right? Like like how, how are they looking at this and, and is it – material in terms of like the global scale and, and media coverage in, in the finance community or is it still pretty small at nascent i think it's still pretty small um mm -hmm. i think just you know from from just hearing uh colleagues opinion at bloomberg uh it was always just like okay this is cute like this is funny um or you know people are still i don't think taking crypto seriously mm -hmm. um because it's it, it's a really small market like it, it has a really small trading volume compared to to most uh, markets and you know it, it's like all of the the news that come out a, a lot of it is really negative um with hacks and just uh market like just 
prices and data not not being credible. Um, so I think it, it makes it hard for for like professional investors to to take this space seriously. But I think I think it's it's definitely getting better. Um, and uh, I think n looking at the space now, I've, it's already matured from from where we were in 2017. Uh, I think there's a lot more real stuff going on, mm -hmm. um, like actual use. Like I look at the DeFi space, like decentralized finance, and and see okay, there's actual like traction here mm -hmm. and use beyond speculation. And it just like it tells me okay, if there's like if we're really starting a bull market now, it'll have more solid fundamentals than it did in mm -hmm. 2017 and that will help uh, institutional investors and professional investors take the space seriously yeah when uh, when's the book supposed to come out uh, a year from now blockchain week uh, next year okay so blockchain week 2020 yes if uh, if we're entering a bull market now it's going to come out right around the having which should be a pretty good point for you to release a I book. I really hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we, we literally are, uh, our business is to bet on it, and that's yeah. something I would bet on. <laughs> um, that, that, that's, uh, that's pretty cool timing there. Um, okay, and then I guess look, uh, one other last thing is just like you've been on the other side as a journalist, right? And, and you've probably heard a million pitches from crypto businesses or people in the crypto community. Like, what would be your advice to them, right? Like, what's the biggest mistakes they make? Mm -hmm. And then, like, what, what should they keep in mind when they do talk to reporters that maybe it's just very obvious that they're not paying attention to? Okay, I think... Um, Don't be too harsh on people. No, I'll be harsh. <laughs> no, I think that the, the, the main advice is to not announce anything until they have actual progress, until they, they have actual results to show for their work. Mm -hmm. um, just like keep your head down and build and don't like clog journalists uh, inboxes with like vapid announcements. And if, if you have something that's that's worth looking at, you, you'll get coverage. Um, but if you just like announce, oh, like we, we launched uh, our mainnet today, um, that's going to subtract your from your credibility. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing is just say why this this matters like don't get people often get really focused on on like the details of the tag and you know why this uh you know consensus algorithm is better than the other one um at least like for mainstream reporters mm -hmm. what they're gonna look at is how is this gonna change people's lives like how what impact does it have in like normal people mm -hmm. and just like Tell it in a way that people can can understand. Um, I think, yeah, just uh, entrepreneurs like often forget that, um, and yeah, forget to like communicate in in a way that regular people can understand. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, and, and just like I, I think it's 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 easy for for people who are so excited about what they're building to think that everyone is gonna be as as excited. Um, but again, it it comes down to put yourself in like the other like the other person's shoes. Like why mm -hmm. why would should they care about what you're doing? Mm -hmm. you know? and, and it feels like to me. I mean, the point you made about wait to make an announcement or try to get press coverage when there's substance mm -hmm. couldn't be more overstate like could that couldn't be more important mm -hmm. right um it's just you see it all the time it's like yeah. 
you know, the, the running joke obviously is uh, is the team at uh, at Tron who announces an announcement about an announcement. Right. right? <laughs> like, okay, guys, uh, not not yeah. really helping your it case. It gets really right? exhausting. Um, for sure. Uh, okay, so before I wrap up, I always do some rapid fire questions. Okay. Uh, what do you think is the most important company in crypto? A company. Company in crypto. You can't say Ethereum. Oh. Uh, You're biased to Ethereum. <laughs> wow. Um. Uh, I don't know. Let me think. I'm like blanking out now. Um, let's see. Maybe just... I want to say like... I don't like Coinbase is coming to mind. Just mm -hmm. because like they... Uh, they get a lot of hate mm -hmm. uh, on, on Twitter. But I, I really think that... You know, they're like... Maybe the first place just normal people will go to when, For sure. when they want to come into this space. They're the largest exchange in the United States. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I think it's a perfectly fine answer. <laughs> um, what What is the thing that you believe in crypto that you think the most number of people would disagree with? Like, what's like your most controversial thought? Um, and I'm especially interested because you've done a bunch of work on Ethereum. <laughs> Let's see. Um, yeah, I think... Uh, Controversial, mm, maybe. Uh, I'm having trouble. Oh, <laughs> with that's fine. That's fine. Maybe, maybe you don't have any controversial thoughts. That's <laughs> no, fine. No, no. Let, let me think. Um, uh, okay, so I think like the Ethereum community portrays itself to be like very rainbows and like unicorns and like peace and love. Literally, they wear them on their t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but just like looking at the backdoor drama, uh, I don't think that's, you know, the the most accurate portrayal. I think mm -hmm. they can be as mean as like hardcore Bitcoiners. <laughs> that's, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't recognize that. Mm -hmm. that's, that's actually pretty interesting insight. Um, what do you think is the most important book you've ever read? Um, okay, so I think, um, let me think. Uh, well, I think, yeah, probably Michael Lewis, uh, The Big Short, had the biggest influence on me. I think Why? that's, because I think when I, after I read it, I, I was like, okay, this is the book I would want to write. Mm -hmm. Just like very interesting, um, nonfiction story on on finance because i mean that's what i what i, what I know what i cover and i think what moves the world so mm -hmm. after i read that i was like okay like this is how finance can be interesting and fun to read and that's what i i'd want to read i mean I, i'd want to write <laughs> very cool um in a second i'm gonna let you ask me a question to, to finish it but before i always talk to people about aliens um believer in aliens not believer do you think they're real <laughs> or not I, I think there, I think, yeah, I believe in aliens. Yeah. Um, I think there has to be, I mean, there, it's a huge universe out mm -hmm. there. We can't be the only life mm -hmm. in, in it. Yeah, so I, there, I think there's, there's a There's an incredibly high number of people, like on a percentage basis that come in here that believe in aliens. Mm -hmm. It's like probably like over 75, 80%. Maybe, yeah, like spending so much time in crypto like makes you Yeah, well, yeah, that's, that. that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe everyone who just comes in here is crazy. <laughs> Um, all right. What uh, what one question do you have for me to uh, to finish up? Well, I'd love your your advice. Like, what would you want to read in in a book on Ethereum? Interesting. Um, so I'm actually fascinated 
by the players in the very early days and how they got to that place, mm-hmm. like, and why they wanted to build it. Okay. Right? And, and the reason why uh, I, I'm so fascinated by the why is it's finance-related it's very capitalistic to go create something like this. Um, it can drive a lot of wealth. I don't think, and it's my outside mm. assumption, that many of the people in that room, that's why they were doing it, mm. right? Now, maybe there was, right? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Hopefully the book covers it. Mm-hmm. But to me, if it's not capitalist-driven, why, right? Is it just like they're screwing around and they want to go build something and like, oh, this would be cool to see what happens? Is it like we want to go take down Wall Street? We've got this great idea, right? You know, like like whatever that reason is. Um, and my guess is that like I don't know, there's probably three to ten people, you know, that are important in there. Five mm-hmm. to ten people, whatever it is. Many of them actually have different answers, probably. Yeah, right. And that created huge problems down the line. <laughs> so it you, sounds you, like you, you already get, know you the answers. Answer. Okay, all right, perfect. <laughs> I will. I will read the book. Um, where can people, if, if they're interested in the book, are they able to pre-order anything right now? Unfortunately, not, not, yet? not okay. yet. But yeah, if you if you follow me on Twitter, of course, I'll announce it as soon as it's <laughs> available. What is your uh, what's your Twitter account? It's at Kami Russo. Okay. C A M I R U S S O. Okay, so if they follow you there, then uh, everyone on Twitter will know when the book is coming out. (laughs) All right, awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. I I know that uh, you didn't have to do it, and it's just really cool, I think, to hear um, kind of why you're writing the book and and talking to you at a point where you're about a year out from releasing Mm -hmm. it. And so uh, maybe when uh, you go to release it, we'll bring you back and see if uh, the things that you're thinking about now end up making it into the book. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Pop here. If you like this episode of Off the Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off the Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off the Chain.